Today's swap a number is the number of CBA grievances currently open. What do you think that number is? Uh, uh, 20. Try again. 50. Mm, 124 as of September 1st. That's too many. It is a lot. Yeah, right now there's a three-digit backlog of open grievances waiting for arbitration because our union and our company can't agree on what the CBA says. Ultimately, this week's SWAPA number is the reason SWAPA is pushing for a full rewrite in contract 2020. Today on the show, we're here to talk with Captain Seth Cornboom, former Midway rep and current SWAPA contract admin committee chair. He's here to tell us about some of the work that happens behind the scenes over at Contract Admin. I'm Kurt Heideman. And I'm Amy Robinson. And join us today is Seth Cornbloom. Hi, thanks, Amy. Good to be here. So, Seth, I think the first thing we need to address is why. Why are there so many open grievances? Well, I think there's uh, at least two reasons for that. The first is because the membership's much more engaged than they ever have been in the past. They're more likely to get into the contract, research an issue for themselves, and sound the alarm bell by calling swapping when they see something that's wrong. And that's definitely a departure uh, from the past behavior of this group. They're much more engaged now. Uh, but I would say the other reason is because uh, oftentimes the company does not send uh, someone to the hearings uh, where we meet with them to try to resolve some of these grievances at a lower level. Uh, certain things that should be resolved via email or uh, maybe just in a meeting uh, don't get resolved that way because, again, the company sent somebody without either sufficient expertise on the subject or sufficient authority. So, Seth, if we have 124 open grievances and we're scheduling 12 SBOAs a year, how are we ever going to resolve this backlog? My hope is that we can get a higher level of management involved in the process. We've got several that we've identified on our list that should be really easy issues to clear up. And if we could just get to the right person at the company, I believe we can reach a resolution very, very quickly. And so uh, through the executive uh, channels at SWAPA, we've been trying to bring the vice president of flight ops uh, himself directly into the process to settle a bunch of these. And, and we'd, we'd love the chance to sit down uh, with a short list and, and try and chip away at some of those. What do you think is the cause of the that they have to call up or uh, that they're not getting the calls made to the right people. I mean, is that uh, a structural problem with the company or is that uh, intentional? What's going on? It looks to us like uh, possibly a structural issue, as you said, or maybe just certain personalities uh, involved on the other side. Um, you know, yesterday we just had a very simple pay issue with a member, super simple issue. Um, yet it took uh, over a dozen man hours for us to fix, and we had to file a formal grievance and run pretty far down the formal grievance track just to recover less than one day's pay on a very, very simple, clear-cut pay issue. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Yes, sir. Um, and one of the questions we hear a lot is, uh, why can't you just play nice with the company? I mean, tell us why that is. Well, honestly, I'd say we are playing nice. Um, we don't start out when we're working an issue. We don't start out attacking. And we're also very cognizant of certain realities of the company having to execute on an issue. Let's, let's say they've maybe misprogrammed a CWA issue, for instance, uh, or we have a disagreement over that. We understand there's going to be a complicated process involved in coming back to center. We're tr we always try to be sympathetic to that. We always try to offer solutions, not just attack the company. So I'd say we do play very nicely. Um, but the other thing that's key is when we see an issue, we can't let it go 
undocumented, unresolved. Otherwise, there's the concern that a past practice may then be set. So we do have to hold them accountable on every issue. And that past practice is sort of something that we've been battling now for for quite some time. That's, again, part of the contract 2020 rewrite. Absolutely. How, how do you defend language that's just poorly written? That That's, that's a challenge, honestly. And that's why, uh, to, to Kurt's uh, point about battling past practice for some time, that's one of the reasons why we catalog all these issues that we deal with. And we've worked very closely with the negotiating committee and the other subject matter experts to make sure that our language proposals for 2020 address some of the, the, the poorly written parts, as you said. Talking about past practice, I know we had an arbitration that we actually lost not long ago on uh, IROPS. That's right. And uh, what was the, what was the cause of that or what, why did we lose that? That's a great, it's uh, <laughs> a great question and a source of a lot of frustration for myself and my team. So that a regular operations grievance came about because we found that the company was using fatigue calls as justification for declaring irregular operations. And that's, that's just ridiculous. Fatigue is not IROPS. Um, sick is also not, the, uh, not IROPS. However, uh, one of the company personnel stated in testimony, and this is almost a direct quote, we realize that sick is not IROPS, but we treat it as if it is. To which our attorney said, well, gosh, that's a distinction without a difference. <laughs> and we got really, really got nowhere. Um, so, but again, past practice came into play and the company had been abusing this for so long. And I, I do believe that was one of the causal factors for us losing uh, that arbitration case. So talk about how, what, what that means in terms of goodwill with the company. Well, uh, I would say uh, that definitely destroys goodwill. The arbitrator fees alone for some of these cases can be tens of thousands of dollars. In fact, uh, most of the arbitrators even have a 30-day cancellation policy. So if we end up settling at the last second, we're still on the hook for the full uh, both us and the company are, are on the hook fully for the full arbitrator's expenses. Do we do we split those costs or do we bear the majority or how does that work? We do split the costs evenly with the company. And there have been cases where when we feel the company has been really remiss in not trying to settle earlier, we've tried to get them to cover more of the costs or all of the costs. And we've been unsuccessful getting them to do that. But uh, it's frustrating because not only is it your swap of dues dollars, uh, going to waste sometimes un- unnecessarily, but also it's your profit sharing dollars yeah, uh, on the company you're paying side. Both sides, really, right? That's right. That's right. It's very frustrating. Um, and so, in terms of goodwill, though, you know, the whole time while we're trying to get an issue resolved, and yet it's being driven all the way to SBOA, you know, we're very cognizant of the fact that uh, money is being spent, and uh, you know, we're having to pull people off trips to prepare witnesses, and it's it's really frustrating. A lot of times, actually, the majority of the times. We would say the company makes no serious effort to resolve the issue until the case is teed up for SBOA and they'll only really start seriously looking at the issue in the last couple of weeks prior to the hearing actually starting. And, and we've already paid money. We've put money into that at that point, right? Absolutely. We've spent uh, you know money on legal expenses. As I mentioned, the arbitrator's uh, expenses are usually uh, non-refundable and, and due in full if we cancel on short notice. And uh, it, it's it's very frustrating. So if we're limited to, uh, I think, one per month, we're doing 12 if, uh, arbitrations a year. Is that our intent? We're intending to do uh, as many as we can. As you mentioned at the beginning of this uh, recording, 
we've all, we've got over 100 of these cases. 124 uh, is the number you used, and that's uh, that's actually going to change by the end of today. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, it's quite a backlog. We're trying to chip away at it, and uh, we will try to get as many of these scheduled. But honestly, the company fights us really hard on even getting these things scheduled. So that it's a, a huge problem for us. We can't even get these things docketed. We can't even get them to agree to a particular arbitrator or to a particular date. And it's really slowing us down. So when these, you talked about settling at the last minute and several of them, I believe have settled pretty late in the game. Is that correct? Oh, absolutely. Sometimes uh, the Friday night, actually uh, one recent one, I think we resolved that on the Sunday before the hearing was going to start, we worked uh, all weekend. But this was a case that had been filed uh, over a year prior. There's no reason for the decision makers on the company side to get involved only at that end game. They should have been involved long before. And that's a, that's a frequent theme with a lot of these disputes is the company does not provide people of sufficient authority or expertise uh, in the room during the process at which they're supposed to. So, so along those lines, uh, how often do you meet with a company in terms of like attempting to settle these grievances before you ever even get to that point? So, you know, we correspond with the company daily. Our staff sends issues back and forth via email, uh, phone, but we, uh, we do have a monthly grievance meeting with company personnel. And then for each particular grievance, uh, we may have a more expanded meeting known as a 16D or 16 Delta meeting. And that number, it's a reference right out of the CBA. And so... Just this past Monday, uh, we had a 16D, 16D meetings on five separate issues all in one day. So we do meet frequently. We do attempt to get these things worked out. However, as I said, oftentimes we don't have someone sitting across the table from us that is able to make the decision one way or the other. In fact, sometimes the person on the company side who's chosen to violate the CBA is the only person that's sitting across from us. It doesn't seem very uh, productive, I guess. That's correct. Yeah, it feels kind of like uh, meeting the fox that was left to watch the house and asking him where the chickens went. Right. And he says he doesn't know as he burps a feather out. So. <laughs> a cartoon reference here. One of, the, one of the other issues that we've published quite regularly is um, talking about audits. What is the issue? Why can't Southwest get the audits correct? And why, how, why are we finding so many of them? That's a great question, and honestly, uh, it's a head-scratcher for me. Um, I know that uh, the company has invested some more resources on their audits, but uh, clearly not enough or not in the right direction. Uh, I'm not an expert, to be honest, on the nuts and bolts of what they're doing on their side to try to fix it. But what's troubling, I've seen an internal email on the Southwest side um, a while back now where they they boasted over a 90% accuracy rate with the audits and the, the tone, the intonation in this email was that, that that's pretty good. That's, that's plenty good. And I thought to myself, well, if our pilots of a midway only landed successfully about 90%, 90%. of the time, yeah. I, I think the company <laughs> and the traveling public would be a little upset. So we don't think that rate is good enough. Uh, we do believe there should be more invested in automation uh, to, to make it right. And uh, we've actually, it's, it's pretty upsetting. We've grieved several different aspects of the pay audit process. One of which really simple, uh, talking about the fact that when they manually reroute you, that they need to market audit needed automatically because right now when a scheduler manually reroutes you, they have to check a box in their system uh, that flags the trip for an audit. 
And again, people are people. They're going to make mistakes. And we don't argue Sounds that. Sounds a little bit like a tech debt issue, quite honestly. It, it, it really is. And so we said, you know, look, this, this that step should be automated just to protect everybody. And the company said, well, show us why we're requ- required to do that. I said, well, you're required to pay us correctly under Section 4. That's one of those things that was never legislated in the contract that you have to pay us correctly because why why would you ever need to put that into a into a contract? Any contract is uh, built on the premise of good faith, and we expect certain safeguards to make sure that the provisions in the contract are complied with under the good faith provision. So if we have 124 open grievances, how does that compare to uh, OALs? Do we have any numbers at Delta or United or American? Sure, yeah. One example, Kurt, is uh, over uh, at Delta – I'm told by our counterpart over there that they have approximately two dozen uh, grievances outstanding. And uh, the majority of those, or at least I should say a significant number of those, are uh, scope-type violations uh, related to their their code share and joint venture issues. Uh, So really, as far as schedule and basic compliance issues, there's only a handful compared to our number of well over 100. So almost a 10 to 1 uh, difference. Just about. Wow. So we kind of started this with 124, you know, being 124 grievances are open right now. And so if we're successful with this contract 2020 rewrite um, and it's completely new language, will that put you out of a job? I mean, there's no more grievances. I hope so. I would love to be out of this job, Uh, (laughs) which would mean that the pilots are getting a high level of customer service out of the company. And uh, people are enjoying a high level of job satisfaction. I would love nothing more than to not uh, require several pilots off the line full time working on these issues. Um, There's always going to be disagreements. That's just, you know, part of life. Uh, But our efforts in 2020 in in, uh, association with the negotiating committee, uh, the schedule research committee and all the other subject matter experts is to do our do our best to eliminate any gray areas going forward. Again, it's it's hard to get it perfect, but we're we're doing our very best to try to eliminate those areas going forward. Uh, speak shortly or briefly about uh, contract admin's role in the rewrite. How how are you involved in that review process? So uh, both myself and uh, the other contract uh, admin pilots, as well as the contract admin staff, have reviewed uh, nearly every section uh, of those proposals. And looking at it through the lens of what complaints and comments do we get every day on the phone with our pilots and via email contacts from our pilots and what challenges do we have while we're sitting across the table from some of the company folks. And through that lens, we're able to look at every bit of language that's been written by the various subject matter experts and offer inputs, make changes, suggest changes. Uh, to try to eliminate uh, points of dispute or really any kind of pain point that we've seen. Uh, to, to go back real quick, one second to the audit question. How is it that SWAPA is finding out all of these pay errors? I mean, what are we doing? Uh, we have SRC involved, don't we? And and could the company use SRC's products? The company certainly could. And uh, I'd love to have further discussions on the topic with uh, with some of our SRC folks here. But yeah, the SRC folks did provide a tool um, that they're able to use, an automated tool, a report that finds so many of these errors. And there have been uh, talks to offer that tool to the company in the past, and uh, the company has ultimately said no. And why? Why would they say no? That's a great question. 
So what are some of the issues that you face with meeting with the company before you get to an SBOA? Sure, Amy. Um, You know, one of the issues is that some of the departments are easier to work with than others. Some of the departments over at the company, uh, when we bring up an issue, whether whether they believe a mistake has been made or not, they're they may be really good about trying to work through the issue with us. And if a mistake was made on their part, they're good about being accountable. Uh, Other departments, unfortunately, are not. And uh, one example uh, is uh, we've got a dispute right now with uh, crew scheduling on an ongoing issue that we've already had to take to SBOA once before. And, you know, we don't like chasing one-offs, you know, as we've already talked about. We're spending a lot of time and money on both sides with these disputes. So if something's just a, a onesie twosie issue, we don't want to spend a ton of time on it. We need to document it to protect against past practice, but we also uh, don't want to make a federal case out of it, if you will. Literally. Literally. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so what's frustrating is that in the dispute I'm referring to, the company is trying to misdirect more than actually acknowledge the issue. Uh, and more than making it up to the affected pilots and meaningfully work to fix the issue for the future, the focus seems to be more on their misdirection. Uh, sure, uh, we we verified what we were hearing by, by looking in CWA at pilots' boards to verify that there was, in fact, what we thought uh, a systemic problem. But now the company is crying foul, uh, claiming that we misused company data, and they're accusing us of quote-unquote phishing for grievances, uh, again, rather than just owning the issue. And that attempt at misdirection, it's kind of like looking in the window of uh, your neighbor's house and you see them stabbing someone, but the neighbor feels like he should not be accountable because you should not have been looking in the window in the first place. But we heard screaming, so yeah, we're, we're going to look in the window. Uh, listeners, we had so much to talk about with Seth that we ran out of time on this podcast. So what we're going to do is do a two-part episode. Uh, so you'll be able to hear the second half of our talk with Seth uh, in our next episode in two weeks. As always, we want to hear from our listeners. Drop us a line at com at swapa.org and let us know what you liked and what you didn't. And if you have any ideas for topics you want to see covered in an upcoming episode, let us know that too. And as always, we have a bonus number today, and that number is $4,537,557. That's the total value of audit corrections SWAPA has identified since 2015. Thanks to SWAPA Oversight, we've captured a great deal of error pay in the last few years, but there's still plenty to do. Southwest 40, we're going to to right, check to left. Clear to land, 1-3 right, southwest 40. 